Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. We are continuing our series the blessed life, because here's the bottom line, you want to be blessed, right? Anyone here not want to be blessed, we'll pray for you. If you raise your hand, I don't want to be blessed, then we'll pray for you, come down to the altar right now, we'll pray and cast that demon out of you, right? We all want to be blessed, but at the same time, do we actually know what blessed means? Do we actually have a right understanding of what Jesus calls blessed? Why? We can have the right desire with the wrong destination, we can have the right desire, but actually be going in the wrong direction of what that actually means. Telvin, he did a great job last week breaking down and deconstructing what our culture deems as being blessed. Why? Sometimes you have to deconstruct so then you can reconstruct. So here's the thing. You have a cultural idea, a cultural perception, a cultural I don't know, perception of what blessed is, and typically it's by what our nation the United States calls blessed. And that probably includes a good income, a nice house, great family, great friends, great job, the absence of conflict, good 401k, great vacations. That's when we say, I'm blessed, brother. I'm blessed. No one ever says, yep, someone just died. I'm blessed. No, no one says, yep, I got persecuted. I'm blessed. No one says, man, I've got a hunger and thirst for God. I'm blessed, right? We have to make sure that our understanding of what God calls blessed, that our definition matches his definition so we can actually strive for what, a, what God calls a blessed life. Telvin, he brought this quote up last week that I thought was absolutely incredible. He said this, you can't get the values or you can't get the kingdom into people until you get America out of people. That's a weighty statement because we have in us a, a perception of what this country has, has called blessed. So here's the thing, right? We've got Jesus's words and Jesus's kingdom fighting and coming against what our culture says. And here's the thing. We've got to choose. We've got to pick. We've got to have a right definition. And so this series is all about helping us gain a framework of what Jesus actually calls blessed. So here's the thing, over the next three weeks, we're gonna be diving into three specific qualities each week based out of Matthew chapter five, where Jesus goes into the B attitudes on the ser- with, or in the process of him doing the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the most famous sermons. We're gonna dive into the B attitudes where each time Jesus says, blessed are those who are, and Jesus says, this is what a blessed life in the kingdom of God actually looks like. And what we're going to do today is we're going to actually read the first three scriptures, the first three things that, that Jesus says a life in the kingdom and what a blessed life looks like. We're going to actually read those today, and, and we're going to stay there. If you could actually put up Matthew chapter 5, we're going to, uh, we're going to actually read it in a couple different translations, though, because I believe the New International Version, it does a great job generalizing, and the Message Bible does a great job specializing in what this stuff actually says and what Jesus is trying to actually get 
to us. Matthew chapter five, verses three through five, this is the new international version. It says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now we're gonna switch over to Matthew chapter five, verse three through five. This is the message version. It says this. It says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you embrace, be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves the proud owners of everything that can't be bought. We're gonna dive into the first one here when, whenever Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you what, what Jesus here is actually saying. Blessed are those who realize they need help. That's not, that's not our country. It is not an incredible value for people to be in a place of need. It is why, because we value in this country self-glorification and self-sufficiency. And so for us to put ourselves at being at a point where we are in a place of need, our culture pushes against that. But Jesus says the first step to coming into a blessed life, a kingdom-minded, a kingdom-oriented life, is to understand the depth of your poverty. Is to understand how needy you are. Have you ever had those people that are just needy? Always need something. And it can be annoying, right? But he says the first sign, the first step to enter in is for you to realize how poor you really are. And here's the thing, if we honestly, sincerely think about who God is and who we are, prayerfully, hopefully, you should, and you, you should see how needy you really are. You should see the depth of your depravity and the depth of your need and the riches of God's goodness. Max Licato says this, God's delight is received upon surrender not awarded upon conquest. The first step to joy is a plea for help, an acknowledgement of moral destitution and admission of inward paucity. Those who taste God's presence have declared spiritual bankruptcy and are aware of their spiritual crisis. Their cupboards are bare. Their pockets are empty. Their, their options are gone. They have long since stopped demanding justice. They are pleading for mercy. They don't brag, they beg. They ask God to do for them what they can't do without him. They have seen how holy God is and how sinful they are and have agreed with Jesus' statement. Salvation is impossible. This is not our, the culture that we're in, y'all. The culture isn't saying, see how needy you are. See how destitute you are. You know what the, the culture's saying? You're a good little you. Inside of you, there's so much goodness. Just find that goodness. Self, self, self-sufficiency. Find the good in in. In you, but Jesus says the first step to a blessed life, a kingdom-oriented life, is to realize your need. I want to compare and contrast really, really quickly two encounters Jesus had with two with two different people to illustrate this point. We're going to read two lengthy 
portions of scripture, which are two stories in, in scripture encounters that Jesus had. And here's the thing, right? This is going to be your Bible reading for this coming week. All right. I'm getting it out of the way for you. You can, you can thank me. Okay. We're going to do pretty good, you know, probably about 28 verses here total that we're going to look at two encounters that Jesus had to illustrate this point. All right. We're first going to read Matthew 19, 16 through 26. This is when Jesus has, has an encounter with the rich young ruler. So this dude has three things everyone wants. He's rich, he's young, and he's in charge. Isn't that what our culture strives for? Rich, got everything, we're looking for the fountain of youth, and then he's in charge, he's got power. And Jesus, let, let's go in and check this out and see this, and, and see this encounter Jesus had. It says this here, starting in verse number 16. It says, just then a man came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, well, you know, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you go to the next one, or is that it? That's it. Okay. So, that is one encounter. The second encounter is found in Luke 7, 36 through 50, where it is where Jesus encounters... Which, what the Bible calls a sinful woman. Like, how would you like to be called in Scripture? Yeah, it's that sinful woman. Like, that is your label, right? Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. Let's read this encounter. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. There she wiped them with her, with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him. And what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denaria and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on, on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that he even 
forgive sin. Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You got two encounters here. The rich young ruler and the woman who was known as a sinner. They both encounter Jesus. And from these encounters, we can deduct who walked away full. The rich young guy came full of himself and left full of himself. The woman, the sinful woman, came empty but left full. Here's the truth. Jesus cannot fill somebody who was already full of themselves. Jesus cannot fill somebody that already sees and feels they have a sense of self-sufficiency. And the way, the pathway to getting in the kingdom a blessed life begins with realizing your need and your status before God. You will never reach the depths of God's goodness and grace until you get to the depth of your poverty. And that's why, I don't know about you, but I want to be like the sinful woman. Where I said, Jesus, I know my plight. I know what I've done. I know my former life. I know what you saved, 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 I know what you saved me from. And Jesus says, those who, who, who have been forgiven of little, love little. Essentially saying, those that don't realize what they have been forgiven of, don't love like they should. And my prayer for this church, for us personally, individually, and corporately, is that we would see the depth of our depravity so we can dwell and, and dwell in the riches of God's goodness. But it takes us seeing our poverty. What I've seen in pastoring for 13, 14 years is it typically takes a situation where someone is at their lowest for God to have room to move in. That is why I believe so many people, they find God when they're at their lowest because they're finally empty enough for God to fill them. That's why when people hit times of poverty, when people hit times of financial crisis, whenever people hit times of relational strife, whenever people hit times where they lose somebody that, that, that they have built their life on, a spouse or friend or something like that, their life is finally open enough for God to move in. That's why Jesus says, look, blessed are those who are poor. Why? Blessed are those who actually have room in their life for the kingdom to move in. And my prayer for us is that it would not take tragedy to give God room. But as a result, we would make room and say, God, I'm taking my cultural values of what blessed is, trashing it so you can come in and build those characters and build those traits in my life. Matthew chapter five, verse four, we're gonna move on. It says, blessed are those who, we're gonna actually read it here. It says, you're blessed when you feel You've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you embrace by the one who is most dear to you. Matthew chapter five, verse, verse four says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let me tell you what I think this is actually saying is blessed are those who know what to do with and where to go with their pain. Blessed are those who know what to do with and where to go with their pain. Because y'all, let's just be honest. We have a world that has no idea what to do with their pain. What do they do? They stuff it, but it's still, still there. They cope with it, but it's still there. They try to numb it, but it's still there. 
If you have pain in your life, Jesus says you are blessed if you know what to do with and where to go with your pain. Because let's just be honest, life isn't about if you'll have pain, but when you'll have pain. It is not if you have pain, but when you have pain. And here's the thing that we can easily think that our church has unfortunately said. If you follow Jesus, you'll, it'll, it'll actually be the absence of pain, which is a lie. I'm so, like, just take one look in, in the Bible and tell me one person that God used that did not go through a life full of pain. You ain't gonna find them. The greatest example is Jesus. Jesus' life for us isn't just something Jesus went through pain so we would never go through pain. Jesus' life was an example for us of what it cost to do God's will. And it can be a life that cost us everything. So here's the thing. If, you've been, if you were told the lie, following God would make your life easier, I'm sorry. Because that is not true. Following Jesus doesn't exclude you from pain, but here is the key. It gives your, following Jesus helps you to give your pain a purpose. And that's what we need more than anything. Not that we're not going to have pain, but we got to know if we're walking through this, what do we ask God? Why? God, what are you doing? Why me? Couldn't you have chosen them? Right? But here's the thing. This is where we've got to, here's the key. Rely on God's character more than our circumstances. Believe the character of God. Romans 8, 28, I say, this all, I say this all the time where it says, all things work to the good of those that love God and have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things can work to the good. But that doesn't mean all things are good. So we've got to say, okay, if all things are not good, but God is good, how can, we, how can, how, how can God take this and make it work for my good? And that's what I think we've got to say. A blessed person is someone that knows where to go and knows what to do with their pain. And the best thing you could ever do with your pain is give it to the one that can take it and give it purpose. Because honestly, what, what I've seen, pain will do two things. It will, it will either make you run from God or make you run to God. And my prayer is that the pain you experience, whether it is relational pain, whether it is physical pain, whether it is marital pain, whether it is vocational pain, whether it is emotional pain, whatever pain you have, that you would take it and give it to the one that it, it wouldn't push you from God, it would push you towards God. Here's the thing, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Isn't it true that God, we all, God often gets our attention when we're in times of discomfort and pain? We become open. Those things that were so important, we recalibrate, we get refocused. Why? Because God has got our ear. Many times it's not that God isn't speaking, it's just that we're not in tune. We don't have the right frequency. And it's in those times of pain where God wants to draw closest to you. I love Psalm 34, 18. It says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's at our times where we're the most broken, where we are the, the most pain-filled, that it actually, we're, we're saying we can actually invite God into our pain to give a purpose. Why? Because here's the thing. If Richard Rohr said this. He said, pain that isn't transformed 
is most assuredly transferred. And you know this is true. You, you know this is true. Pain that has been passed down, you pain that hasn't been dealt with, pain that hasn't been wrestled with, thought through, and transformed always comes through to the next generation and it's transferred. And you know this is true because some of you are dealing with the pain that wasn't even a part of you but was part of your parents and now you're the one dealing with it because it was never given to God for him to transform and use for your good. So now you're the one dealing with the muck and dealing with the mire and dealing with the, the consequence of someone not dealing with the pain. But the cycle can stop with you. The cycle can stop with you. How? If you say, God, I'm gonna invite you into my pain. I'm not gonna just numb it. I'm just not gonna cope with it. I'm just not gonna act like it's not there. I'm gonna actually, God, I need to invite you into this pain and give it to you so you can transform it and give it a purpose so I don't transfer. You, we hear all the time, hurt people hurt people. Pain-filled people bring pain on so many other people's lives. That's why you can see, that's why, honestly, we need to have grace for those people that say crazy stuff, those people at our jobs that are just mean and angry and just treat you like garbage. And it's just all the pain that we see many times is a direct result of people just, just the pain has been transferred. And so we need to be what? Agents of healing instead of agents of, uh, of pouring onto that pain. I love what Paul said, man. You know, if there's, you know, anything that gives me hope is whenever Paul, you know, 2 Corinthians 12, we're not gonna turn there, but I'll just kind of summarize it for you. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, you know, he's, he says he's got this thorn. He says he's got this thing that just won't leave him. Is anyone there? Thorn in the flesh, right? That's where we get that terminology from is Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. And he says this, like, I pleaded with Jesus to take it away three times. And if anyone's gonna get the prayer answered, it's Paul. Why? Because he wrote most of the New Testament. Like, he's gotta be Jesus' favorite. Like, if Jesus had a pet, you know, a, a, a class, you know, whatever, like, Paul was a smart guy, went through a lot of suffering, all this stuff. If anyone was gonna have their prayer answered, it was gonna be Paul. He's telling God, I've got pain, Jesus, just to let you know, you see this, you, you know it. And Jesus told Paul, no. Now, if I was Paul, I'd be like, Jesus, you know how much I've endured for you? Do you know how much I've done for you? You see all these churches in this place, you know who planted them? Me. And you can't even take away this little, this, this little thorn in my flesh? But Paul, he goes on, Writing, and what does Paul say about this thorn that Jesus left? He said, I have found that in my weakness, that's when I really see God's power. He says, it is in my time of weakness that I see God's power. He says two things. With his pain, he found purpose in his pain. He's, he said, I found a strength that I never knew. And I found a part of God's character that I would have never known without walking through this pain. And let me tell you this, y'all, I can, I can reckon with this because for so long I have dwelt and found comfort in and found strength in this verse where I have told God, you want me to speak, but I stutter. God, you want me to plant a church, but I stutter. And God, I, I got a thorn. And God, I'll just, you know, God, why call someone else, you know? Give someone else a burden. Have someone else feel, you know, feel this. And God was like, no, you're gonna see a side of me, a character, a part of my 
character that you would not see unless you went through this and seen my faithfulness and my goodness through it. And what does Paul end up saying? He says, now I rejoice in having these. Why? I see a side of God's power that I would have never seen, and I see a side of God's character that I would have never seen unless I would have been in this pain. And I can second that, where I can be like, God, I have seen your power. I have seen your faithfulness. I have seen your goodness. I mean, I would rather not have it, just saying. No doubt about that. But if God wants to use it to show me more of his power and more of his character, Paul says, bring it on. So I wanna ask you, how are you dealing with your pain? Someone that is blessed is someone that can deal, knows where to go, knows what to do with. You mourn, but knows where to take their pain because it's in that pain that you can then be embraced by him. Thirdly, we're gonna close here. Piano, you can come up. Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, 5 says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Matthew 5, 5 NIV says this, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Love what this says here to us because you know, here's the thing, this word meek we can think means weakness. Blessed are those who are just weak and just like gentle and how you doing? You know, that's just, I hear that word meek sometimes. I think we just kind of think it just means weakness and it just, just means someone who is just like soft. Let me tell you what meekness is. Meekness is power under control. So blessed are those who can control their power and use their power for somebody else's benefit. It says, blessed are those who have the ability and power to control themselves and use their power for the benefit of someone else. If this isn't the kingdom of God, I don't know what is. And if there's not a better example of this, it's Jesus. That, that here's the thing, in Philippians chapter two, verse five through 11, it says this, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus didn't come down and be like, yo, I'm God, all y'all serve me, all y'all are this. He used his power and his position and his authority to do what? Scripture says this, he, or Jesus says this about himself. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. He used his position, his power, and his authority to serve and love those who were beneath him and to lift them up instead of saying, you're here to now serve me. It says, rather he made himself nothing, taking by, by the very nature of, excuse me, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do you do with your power? Are you in a place, see, here's the thing, a lot, lots of different things, they have power. So we just think power meaning you've got a position. But what about the words you speak? You know your words have power? It says you got the power of life and death. What do you do with your finances? You might have power there. You, you, you might have a position. What source of power, what source of position do you have? Jesus says, if you don't use it for somebody else's benefit, then it's not kingdom. Blessed are those who take their strength and, is, and are under control and use it to serve someone else's benefit. What do you do with your power? You might be good with your words, right? Like you, you know you are verbally strong. You've got comebacks like that. If anyone gets in a put-down battle with you, you know who's gonna win. You got those people, right? Like they got power in their tongue. They know how to cut people. They know how to slice people. They know how to word fight. You have power there. Are you using it to serve or are you using it to cut? If you have, if you have a position, let's say you're a CEO or let's say managing people or let's, let's say you are in a leadership position. Do your people believe about you that you are not just trying to rule them, you're trying to serve them and make them better? Are you using your power? Is it under control and are you using it to benefit others? Do y'all see the war here? between what, what the kingdom of God is and what Jesus calls blessed and what our culture calls blessed? And how if we don't deconstruct our idea of what blessed is and then reconstruct it built on Jesus' words, we're gonna miss the whole point of this whole thing, which is to become like Jesus. It's not just to be good church people, it's not just to be successful. The call in following Jesus isn't just to be intrigued by him. The call to following Jesus is to be like him. And that, and that happens when we clear our, our lives, realize we're poor and needy so he can have room to come in and set up shop. It happens when we have, when we know what to do with our pain, we know where to go. We know that we give it to God and God transforms it. And the third thing is, is that we know what to do with the power. We use it to serve others instead of ourselves. And this is just the iceberg, y'all. This is the tip of the iceberg. Over the next two weeks, we're gonna dive into six more things. If we say, and Here's the thing. This is where we've got to get into self, self, we, we got to self-analyze. What's in us, kingdom or culture? What have we been building on, kingdom or culture? How do I define blessed, kingdom or culture? This is then we got to do the hard work. If there's things in our lives that we need to repent of, that we need to get out, that we need to say, okay, God, I need to give this to you so we can make room and we can build our lives on a different definition. That's what God's word does. It comes in, it challenges, it, it, it convicts, and then we have the opportunity to see change happen. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. 
at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.